The views and opinions expressed by guests of the Macabre World podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the position of the host, podcast, or darker arts studios. The Macabre World podcast is brought to you by Darker Arts Studio, home of real human bone jewelry. Stock and custom pieces are available, so visit us on the web at www.darkerartstudio.com and show them your darker art side. Macabre World, a podcast from Darker Arts Studio, where we explore the dark, strange, and unusual from this world and beyond. Hello, and welcome to the Macabre World Podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Degatti, and with me today are author and producer Floyd Bocox and Al Bowman, executive producer and founder of the LA Music Awards, among others, and here to talk about the story of the music of Cliff Morrison and the Lizard Sun Band. It's a tale of rock legacy, as told in Floyd's book, Morrison Land, Cliff being the presumed son of legendary Doors frontman Jim Morrison. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having us on. So both of you have illustrious histories in the L.A. music scene. Could you give me a little bit of background, each one of you, about how you came to work together with the Cliff Morrison Project? What intrigued you first? Was it the music, the legacy, both? How did this come about? Al, you go first. Okay, well, uh, Bill Gasari, who was uh, the godfather of rock and roll, who had a club open from 1960 till 1992 called Gasari's on the Strip. That was the heyday, the, you know, the golden era of rock music, uh, when the Sunset Strip was the dominant place of rock music in the world. The Whiskey, uh, the Roxy, the Zari's, the Rainbow Bar and Grill, uh, the Central, uh, Filthy McNasties. This was the whole the Sunset Strip in the 60s. Uh, he, um, the Doors was the house band at Gazzari's uh, for many years. They were kicked out of the whiskey because uh, Jim uh, Morrison exposed his genitals to the crowd. Which <laughs> today would get, would, would get you a viral video on uh, YouTube. Uh, <laughs> this is true. I keep thinking of the Red Hot Chili Peppers and their socks, and Jim Morrison got pinched for that, not once, but a couple of times. Yeah. And so, uh, so, the, um, so Bill Gazzari, uh, when he died, three days before he died, asked me um, and handed me his very famous fedora hat, who... Uh, I put an auction several years ago. David Lee Roth bought it for twelve hundred bucks. Oh wow! Um, he uh, said that the only thing that could save the LA music scene from uh, what was happening with grunge rock from Seattle was if someone would start an award show uh, and make it just about local bands in LA and keep it all rock and unify the scene to go up against what was emerging from Seattle, which was like Nirvana, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Bowl, uh, Mother Love Bone, uh, Pearl Jam, etc. And because that uh, type of music completely wiped out the LA music scene like that. It, it literally, when grunge rock came in, it knocked out the glam rock scene of LA. So in the very last night when Diane Gazzari who could not keep the club going. She tried to keep it open for a year. She was Bill's niece, but Bill was, you know, he was Gazzari's. So people would go there and they'd expect to see Bill Gazzari. So when it was more of a, talk about interactive experience, 
it was interactive without, you know, computer technology back then. People actually interacted with each other in a human environment. Uh, so when Bill died, the very last performance at his club in 1992, which was the first time I saw Cliff Morrison, was Cliff performing on the stage at the very last night that Gazzari was open. I had to be there because of the nostalgia that was attached to Gazzari for me. But then when I saw Cliff and I heard him and I looked at him, I said, this is Jim Morrison's son. He really is Jim Morrison's son. Then there were people in the crowd that were saying he wasn't really Jim Morrison's son. And it was just a bunch of hype and all this other stuff. But I believed, based on my gut instinct, that he truly was. Because it's in the DNA, the movements, the vocal delivery, the style. It was him. And so it wouldn't be until, you know, many years later uh, that I would uh, hook up with Floyd. Because when I started the LA Music Awards in 1991, which was the first year, that first year we dedicated it to the memory of Bill Gazzari. And every year since we dedicated it to Bill Gazzari. And um, when Cliff came along from a referral from a mutual friend of ours, um, Russ, uh, he uh, said, hey, man, you know, this guy represents Cliff Morrison. I said, Cliff Morrison, I saw him in 1992 at the closing night of Gazzari's on the Strip. And um, so, well, you should hook up with Floyd because, you know, he um, he's trying to get this guy a record deal. And I said, well, what I can do is I can put him on the stage at my 18th annual Los Angeles Music Awards event in Hollywood. And I'll give him the stage and let him perform a couple of songs and put him in front of a full house and put him on the red carpet. And we'll uh, showcase him and give him some some recognition so that Floyd has marketing tools uh, to work with so that he can push Cliff into the business as an award-winning act, which will always give you a competitive advantage if you use it right. Um, and so that's how Floyd and I came together with Lizard Sun Entertainment. Floyd was basically a sponsor uh, of uh, Cliff Morrison's performance, and they uh, had a dinner table, and um, they were part of the show, and it was a remarkable performance. I have it on DVD. It's been taken off of YouTube. Again, another one of those, you know, people fighting to keep Cliff out of the spotlight. Don't want him to be seen. Uh, but I have the DVD, and when I put it on and I play it, this is what the weirdest part about that night was. We had so many technical problems with that show. But for whatever reason, Cliff's performance with the camera switching, the audio mix, everything was absolutely perfect. You couldn't have asked for a more perfect sound mix, perfect video. Not one technical mistake. I, the, that could not be said for the rest of the performances. I had to basically uh, just grab clips to build a sizzle reel from that event because we had so many technical problems. But that uh, is one of the most memorable performances in 25 years of the LA Music Awards, which went from 91 to 2015, was Cliff Morrison's performance that year and him saying, my father's here. And you see that little white thing flying around. And, oh, that's uh, incredible. It, and you said the clip's no longer on YouTube? Uh, yeah, it was on YouTube for a while, but it got taken down. Uh, so that that's how it started with uh, Floyd and I. I. I showcased thousands of bands over my career as the executive producer of the LA Music Awards. Uh, Cliff was just one of them, but he was probably, out of 25 years, uh, a top five memorable uh, performer. Yep. That's an incredible endorsement, considering yeah. the pedigree of, of the event. Yeah. 
And uh, so, Floyd, how did you find him? Because if you brought him to, to Al, how did you find him? I mean, I know that you, you go into this in your book. And folks, Floyd's written a book called Morrison Land, and you can find that on Amazon. Also, you are uh, in the, in, it's in the works for a movie. Yep, that's correct. Uh, on IMDb, uh, Morrison Land, and uh, yeah, we're on the last stage right now. I'm working with Al right now as far as uh, the last part of it. Screenplays done, trailers. We're on the last part of production, and we're ready to go. We're just we're waiting for somebody to get back here soon, and then we're gonna push it. But uh, for me, with how it all started was through uh, the keyboardist. His mother went to school with me at Mary Star, and uh, they called me through a mutual friend who's a doctor, and they said, hey, they want to get with you and uh, see what you can do with this band. And I just finished, I've been, uh, oh, let's see, this is gonna be with Lizard Sun Entertainment, is gonna be my third record company that I created as the, you know, I say president, co-founder and all that. But, so what I did was that I had the band get together and perform at my house. And at the time I was with uh, Nicole David, the senior vice president at William Morris Endeavor, which was before that William Morris Agency. And her clients are like Whitney Houston and Reba McIntyre. And then she got into the theatrical part of it too. So she had some pretty heavy people behind her. So I had her and her husband was one of my producers with Floyd Records back in the day. And uh, they came to the house. And so the band performed and it was a good performance in, in the living room too. It was crazy. And then on the side, she pulls me on the side. Nicole told me, he sounds just like Jim. I said, well, what do you think, man? Should I sign him up and create this? She goes, yeah, go ahead and sign him up. So that's how Lizard Sun started. I created the Lizard Sun Entertainment. I was the co-founder and president. Cliff, I had him signed to me as an artist and then I just got behind him and uh, we've went through quite a few rehearsals and picking up different band members, but they're all pretty much all longshoremen here from San Pedro. And we finally, everybody got along together. That was another thing about everybody getting along and. We had a few episodes in the studio, but boy, I was there to break it up. <laughs> but anyway, we got that done. It's rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, we had some fights in there, man. But whoa, you know, I had to stop all the stuff going on in there. But but yeah, it all came on to it, and everybody's getting along, and the vibes good, and music's coming out right, and you know, time to record, you know, for color of people. So that was another deal there. That we had to go through also but yeah i mean like al was talking about getting them out there in hollywood we hit a lot of places and even uh a couple of really well-known places that he performed and great audiences and when i the thing that i did was back in 2008 was i introduced them at the nam show as the, my first coming artist and Cliff Morrison, as far as being revealed as, you know, as Jim's son. So we had the composer's corner there and uh, they were there doing a couple episodes on Cliff in itself. And it turned out great questions about him and Jim and his father. And, 
you know, it, it, it was a great thing for him. And the, the, the audience there in itself there at the NAMM show was just so many people there. You know, we, we arrive in a limo. I mean, it's just red carpet event. It was just, it was crazy. A lot of people were just like going crazy with Cliff's music. Well, so, you know, I, w- I was yeah. going to ask real quick. Um, to be honest, I've been a Doors fan all of my life. And I think, you know, obviously an incredibly popular, a legendary band, if you will. And this was, uh, in recent times for me, the first I'd heard of a son of, of Jim Morrison. So I, I'm almost hesitant to say I don't know how much of a common knowledge it is that Cliff is Jim Morrison's son. I don't know how much uh, opposition you receive in, in stating that. I think... And, and just coming from somebody who uh, sings with a sister that sounds a lot like her and remembering how the Everly Brothers, there is such a thing as a familial resemblance in how people sound and how they sing. Absolutely. And I think that if people just listen, never mind the, 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 the remarkable similarities in face and, 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 and what he looks like, but I think if they just listen, it's, it's obvious. I mean, I can imitate Jim Morrison. In fact, there's a poor young man named Kevin somewhere in Bristol, Rhode Island, who's probably still traumatized from that. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not, this is not a, this is not a put on performance. You can tell from the material that this is how he sounds and it is remarkably uh, mapped to yes. sound familiar. Like just how um, the first person that came to mind was Ben Taylor singing with uh, his dad is James Taylor. And they sound quite similar. There's there is a marked resemblance, if you will, in the voices. And we're gonna play a little bit of a clip from a song from his album, No Peaking. Uh, and this is Technology. And I think it's obvious that that's, you know, I mean, it's it's almost eerie. So uh, when when billing him as Jim Morrison's son, was there a lot of opposition and a lot of challenge to that? This is for Al or me? For either of you, actually. Yeah, guess, guess, yeah. you go ahead, Al, you go. You go first. In the book, in the book, in the screenplay, which I did a remarkable job on this. It is fantastic. This literary work. I mean, it, you know, I'm now the producer uh, executive producer of the Nashville Music Awards, and I'm also running a, a media public relations company. I can't wait to give this some recognition on the red carpet in Nashville, Tennessee. So let me tell you, Nashville has an undeserved reputation as a country music place. It's really classic rock. This place is dominated by classic rock. When people think Nashville's all country, walk down Broadway to all those venues. You walk by, you hear Van Halen, you hear Def Leppard, you hear Motley Crue, you, hear, you don't hear country. I never hear, I'm here at Fleetwood Mac, a journey. I don't I don't ever hear any country. I'm like, well, I thought this place was country. It's not. Um, the country um, labels are all here, the country management companies, 
There are a lot of country artists that come out of here. There is a lot of country music here, but the dominant form of country, of live music that people come to here is classic rock. It's very, very dominant here. So I just wanted to make that clear because I, I think that what Floyd did uh, with this book, the screenplay, especially, I don't, did he send you a copy of the screenplay? He, he did. And, it, and yeah. it's, it, it's what really I thought was incredible was it was, you know, a lot of people are going to have different different takes on it, you know, depending on what their life has been like when they read it. And I and I recommend folks definitely just go to Amazon and buy the book. It's an amazing story. But one of the things that, that struck me was I thought it was a faceted tale of fatherhood. Yes. Because we got to know Floyd and, and, and some of his uh, relationships with his dad and his kids. Yep. And, and it was about uh, Jim Morrison and Cliff and about Cliff and his daughter. I think that that tied it all in together and really gave the story so much heart. Nailed it. That's what you make a creative hit movie out of. That story, the familial relationship aspect. And I'm glad you, you spotted that. Absolutely. Um, because we had, we had a guy that, and I don't know how Floyd dealt with him, but you know, Floyd addresses this is Alan Graham, who is the biggest emotional terrorist in the history of planet Earth. Oh my! Without a doubt, and I've dealt with some real nasty characters in my life, working in Hollywood for twenty-five years, producing. Oh, I can't imagine. Movies. Then I did eight years in Las Vegas, and I had to deal with some real scoundrels and scumbags in that town for eight years. But nobody, nobody that I ever dealt with was as horrible as Alan Graham. Explain and, to the audience who Alan Graham is. I was just going to say, well, Alan Graham, you know, he he was. He was friends with a lot of powerful people. But the one thing about Alan Graham that people don't know is that he was ever present at the death of every major rock star. Correct. Who passed away. Now, and isn't he also Jim Morrison's brother-in-law? And it's Joplin, Kurt Cobain. I mean, he's there, present, when they die at the age they all died the same age, 27. 27 club. That not that number in the numerology in the satanic realm or whatever you want to call it uh, has some sort of significance. That's why they all die at that same age. We can prove that Alan Graham was in the vicinity of Jim Morrison's death, of Jimi Hendrix's death, of Janis Joplin's death. Even Amy Winehouse, he happened to be over in the UK when she passed away. I'm just saying. You Don't know, forget about Al Ducci. Don't forget about Al Ducci, too. El Duce, the El, known one. That's he a was, heavy story there, too. Yeah, El Duce uh, was, you know, Courtney Love's confidant, and he died while filming a documentary that was exposing whether or not Courtney Love had Kurt murdered. And then he died during production. He was hit by a train. And then the CHP said it, uh, California Highway Patrol said it was a suicide, but it wasn't. They it took was, him off the porch, remember? The day before, yeah, the band members saw that. In front of that train. There's all these things, but Alan Graham was the one making the bomb threats, and we knew it was him doing it. We told the sheriff's department it was him. When we showcased clip in 2009 at the Whiskey and Go-Go, sheriff's department brought in bomb-sniffing dogs. Now, we asked earlier, how difficult was it to book Cliff Morrison and showcase him? They had to bring the bomb-sniffing dogs to make sure there were really no bombs that were going to blow up the Whiskey and Go-Go, so Cliff could play a set. Wow. And uh, and then Graham, you know, would call and, you know, he had this very 
anybody who's British would, would hear Alan Graham's accent and tell you that his was a guttural, uh, clockwork orange type, you know, a British accent. He's one of those, you know, very mean. Like, he had to have probably the meanest voice of anybody I ever dealt with in my life. He was, <laughs> no, he was. Oh, he was. Oh, he was and um, he would say things like, yeah, you with your award show, you have no business doing an award show. You you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm not going to allow you to put Cliff on your stage. I will do whatever I can to stop you from showcasing this. You cannot put him on your stage. I will blow up the venue. I will blow it up. And he, he would say this. And I'd be like, Alan, the show must go on. I'm not afraid of you. You know, will you be better afraid? Because I will come and I will kill you. He would say this to me. Then, you know, when, when my wife would get on the phone with him, Susanna, he would say, oh, I've seen your picture with your little hooker pants on. You look like a hooker, a cheap prostitute. Like he was, he was just like, and she would just go, oh my God, this guy's like the most, and I have saved his emails. Oh, wow. Oh, they, yeah. I got to say too. Brutal. He is brutal. He, and I asked his wife, but what was his motivation to be such an asshole? Like, was it just power and control? I mean, what was the real reason that Alan Graham was such a bastard and a prick? Well, let, let everybody know that he was Cliff's first manager, you know what I mean, at the time. And at the time, don't forget that he had Domino Harvey there with him when all this was beginning. Don't forget Domino. about that, too. Another mysterious death. Yeah, Domino Harvey. That's big time there. That's movies made, two movies about Domino. Yep, yep. yep. You know about her, right? The bail bonds girl and all that? Oh, yes. Yeah. White Roses, I believe, was the name of the DVD. I got that. Yeah. Yeah. There was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, wow. You know, and strangely enough, Alan Graham is still alive. He's in his early 80s now. Yep. Uh, He almost killed his wife in a domestic violence. uh, Oh, dear. And he was put in jail. Yep. And... He came out of jail in a wheelchair. And the reason why is because that attitude that I just described, he went into jail with okay. that, probably barking that kind of crap of big black guys and stuff. <laughs> they, they gave him a beat down, man. Oh, yeah, wow. They did. Now, now, he's also connected to the Morrison family. Yeah, that's, Jim, yeah, that's <laughs> Jim's brother-in-law. He's married to Anna, Jim's sister. Ann Morrison. Yes, he was married to Ann Morrison. So... This uh, gave him that, um, in his own head anyway, that feeling of uh, full control over anything Morrison. And, um, boy, I can tell you, man, I, I never had anybody put me through a, a meat grinder like what that guy did. Oh, yeah. So do you think his opposition was to the claim of, of him being Jim's son no. because of the, the similarity that the fanboy smells? I mean... What do you think? Where was his the opposition? What was the motivation to be so oppositional? Al, let me jump on this real quick. All right. So briefly, what it was, was before I let uh, release color of people, I got a hold of the Morrison estate. At the time, the attorney was Louis Friesman. He's passed away by now, but they all know who I am. So I talked to him and I told him, hey, Lou, we're getting ready to release color of people. And there's a track on there that has Jim's poetry. And he says he talks about his son. The song's called Liquid Highway. So he goes, okay, Floyd, send me three copies, and I'll go ahead and have see if it, this is Jim's voice. 
So say about two, three weeks later, I receive a hard copy letter in the mail and it's from Lewis Reisman, the Morrison estate. And they validated that is Jim's voice. So how did you get that? Well, Danny Sugarman, who was the Doors manager, is the one that gave it to Cliff before he died. And he said, your father wanted you to have that. So on the fourth sample on Liquid Highway, that's when Jim talks about my boy. So that part validates that with uh, Cliff and this music and Jim. And then with uh, Alan Graham, uh, Cliff, we used to call him Uncle Al. And, you know, this like he you just got to watch out for him. You know, be careful when you're around him type of thing, because everybody knows what uh, what happens to certain individuals. So I never had that opportunity to meet him, but we like we did discuss it over the phone and what we we're you know saying, what kind of shenanigans we had to go through. Go ahead, Al. Oh, well, again, you know, one of the things he said to me was, you know, you can't showcase Cliff because I own him. I own his right. rights, his life rights. I own every part of his music. I own his publishing. I own this, I own that. So I let him finish and I, so I sent him an email. I said, hey man, Alan, Lincoln freed the slaves. Oh my. Nobody owns anybody, okay? So again, I just, I, he just couldn't believe, he was so used to people being intimidated by him because most people were like, oh, okay, I don't want any trouble. But you know, I was in the army and I had drill sergeants screaming at me for six months. Yeah, that's right. So you, I know a little bit of a, Teflon coating on me. Go ahead. You're going to back <laughs> right on me. I don't care. You know? and, and We're going to go ahead and play a, that clip from Liquid Highway okay. so that folks can hear the piece that you're talking about with Jim Morrison talking about my boy. So here's a clip from Liquid Highway, and this is from Cliff Morrison. So um, what a crazy cast of characters. Like, are you going to play him in the movie? <laughs> you should. I, I, absolutely. I would I'd rather play Bill Gazzari because I know how to talk like Bill. Bill was yeah. funny. <laughs> okay. yeah. That's another thing that engaged me about the book is that there is such a wide uh, oh, cast of characters. And uh, and one of the most, uh, one of the more interesting uh, side characters is Cliff's mother. Oh boy, here we go. Let's talk about okay. that one. Now, uh, Lorraine, a.k.a. Lenny. He had a very interesting one. Now, my ex-wife, you know, who was passed on, had a very strong uh, bond and relationship with uh, Lorraine, a.k.a. Lenny. True, um, true. Uh, I think Lenny made some terrible mistakes. I think she was deathly afraid of success. Yeah. Because Floyd put together a very lucrative reality tv show deal worth one million dollars and that dumb lady turned it down <laughs> and that you know those split second decisions in life right when you're in the military you learn to understand how a split second decision like my head itches i'm going to take my helmet off for a second and scratch oh bullet hit you you know well this is what kind of what happened with her because floyd put this deal together it took months to put it together 
Command that was for a full reality TV show with a major television production company, a big seven-figure advance payment for the story, and she didn't want to do it. And I think the reason why she didn't want to do it is because she would have been exposed as not really being Cliff's real birth mother. Isn't that right, Floyd? Yeah, well, I, mean, I mean, go ahead, Rocky. I was just going to, I'm so sorry. I was just trying to sneak this in because the, the concept of Jim Morrison having an affair with a groupie and, and somebody in the era of free love and excess, and right. being, uh, you know, as they used to say back in the day, as a young lady getting into trouble. Uh, and it's not really, this isn't a crazy theory. I mean, it's no. not implausible. It doesn't, it's, no. it's, it's probably happened. How many paternity suits, you know, go against uh, performers? There's there is 20 paternity suits legally that I know of. And to be honest, Cliff has been the closest one to be the true heir. But they won't accept that because of the monies. Everybody's monies are going to change. That's why they're not, you know, we'll talk about that when Cliff goes out to go meet the Admiral and he's got Clara, the baby, and that whole scene when you're ready. But yeah, it's about monies and all that for sure. Do you think that Lenny not being his birth mother, that theory is the reason why DNA evidence has not been thus far collected because then it would prove that she wasn't his mother? Go yes. ahead, Al. Yeah, I think that that's part of it. She confided in my former uh, spouse that the birth of Cliff was super secretive in a bathtub in Venice Beach and handed off to her by the real mother. Cliff was born in a very unique set of circumstances. Sounds like. And, you know, because, well, abortion was illegal at the time. And sure. You could get abortions. But when you had sex with Jim Morrison and you were carrying his baby, you were a woman. Were you going to abort that baby? Hell no. You know, so the lizard prince. Yeah, right. And so, uh, but the, she did confide in Susanna of a backstory of a baby handoff that happened. Like, here, I have this baby. You, you take him, you raise him. He's Jim's son, yada, yada, yada. So, oh, this is one of many tales that were told. Yeah. Definitely. But ultimately, when it came down to Floyd's million dollar deal, which Floyd was just rubbing his hands to cash in on after all the money he put out. Floyd, you were into clip three, four hundred grand at the time. Oh yeah, so you, you deserved your payoff. Uh, when Liddy killed the deal, I was just because I was part of the, the the group at that time. I was like, why would she do that? Like, why? And then we tried to ask her. She's like, oh, I don't want to talk about there's just too much that'll come out, and I don't want anybody to know and. And I'm still deeply private person, and I, I just don't want any of this uh, to be either made public. And I was like, okay, so there is something to this backstory here. That I want to touch on that subject real quick about Lorraine Lenny. So for the audience and everybody, that Lenny did work as an informant with J. Edgar Hoover in her younger days. So everybody needs to know that, yeah, she was hired by the J. Edgar Hoover to go out to this Part out there, you know, back then they were protesting and all that stuff going on. And she was part of that infiltrating with Hendrix, the Doors, Janis Joplin, all those in that era, I would say. That was her job. And she had Odessa file with the FBI and CIA. I was told this. So I got a special friend who's a captain. I'm going to mention his name, but he's here with me is for the police department. I went to his house. 
I asked him, can you check up on this for me? He goes, okay. And he did. He goes, yeah, man, you got two red flags on her. One with the FBI and one with the CIA. That is true. <laughs> is. So that's been confirmed. All right. So you got this woman part of that whole scene. But yeah, that happened. And I wasn't even aware of it until I went and checked it out. Like, whoa. Right, yeah, well, Rocky, you know that the, those agencies, those alphabet agencies kept files on all these rock stars. Well, yeah, I would is, imagine. I mean, this is also we're coming out of a time. Uh, we're, we're in wartime. At yeah. A amount of that. Yeah. And we're coming out of like, you know, the whole Red Scare, uh, you know, yeah. I, I, historically. And the Cold War. Yeah. And, it, and I think historically it has always been um, very much part of the entertainment business to uh and I don't want to say control, but necessarily, but definitely monitor and police content, monitor and police. Well, I mean, we, it goes back to the to the to the '30s and '40s when there were, you know, there was propaganda in Bugs Bunny cartoons. So right. entertainment has always been a vehicle politically. So it, it doesn't surprise me that government agencies would have involvement, would have, you yes. know, because of the of just because of the sheer influence in the culture, and yeah. what that can what that can can mean for uh, the country. I agree. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. So ultimately, I think when when Lenny turned that down, I think it was self-preservation on her part to avoid exposure of who she really was, because yeah. you know uh, she didn't want that out. And and to this day, and I used to say this to my ex, I said, I don't think she's Cliff's real mother. She's not. And uh, yeah, and and I said the fact that she raised him. It doesn't make her his mother. And uh, I think his real mother. Well, you know, I say I, family, of course. The character that Meg Ryan played in the Doors movie yeah. is his real mother. That's, that's who I'm going with. Well, yeah. well speaking as a ginger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a, that's <laughs> usually a, a pretty, uh, a pretty uh, you know, obvious mutation. And yeah, I did. I did notice that your man Cliff is also a fellow ginger. Yeah, yes. when you look at him at the time when he was with us, I mean, you can see the profile on the side of his face, his lips, his hair, his eyes, just like Pamela Corson. That's what I see. And you know, I, I want to bring up something real quick about that. Is that oh, we got a call from Pearl, Pamela's mom. And she goes and calls and she goes, it's Cliff okay? Like, here's Pearl Corson, Pamela's mom calling about Cliff, checking and making sure he's okay when he was doing time, you know? And, and like, yeah, yeah, he's okay, everything's fine. Oh, okay, I'm just checking in to make sure he's okay, you know? I mean, she's passed away by now, but do you have Pam's mom call us at the office and check on Cliff? That was like, whoa, okay, you know? So there's kind of a connection. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was another one that, you know, solidifies this with Cliff. I mean, we got so many people involved in this. I mean, we can go on and on. Like, you know, <laughs> this historian itself with a lot of stuff. I mean, we're just touching on just the beginning of all the stuff that we've gone through and people. I mean, oh, it's an incredible story. And go ahead, yeah. Rock. Bring on. One bring it on. One of the things everyone I've, I've talked to just a few close friends saying, you know, I'm going to be doing this story, you know, telling them a little bit about that and, and saying, you know, what, what kind of questions would you ask? Just like anybody might, you know, 
And everybody says the same things. How come there's no DNA test? We have a DNA test for everything now. I mean, you can do everything now. And, and everybody seems to be very focused on that. Again, I think if one listens to the music and one looks at the pictures, I don't think it's too much of a stretch. The backstory of even whether it's true or not that the, the mother was a groupie, that type of thing. None of that is all implausible to me. And I think it's very, very possible to, to, to be able to believe this without a DNA test. All right. But I think the music is a great DNA test. That, let me uh, touch on that briefly. Then you well, there was a DNA test, but didn't they keep it secret? Like, okay, so that's okay. what I want to talk about. I got a hard copy letter from uh, the actual doctor, and uh, I don't have it with me. I wish I would have brought it, but it, it is in my records that it showed Cliff back in the 90s, and I think it was uh, Robbie Krieger walked him over to the doctor who takes care of all the blood work for Jim and all that, introduced him, and I have a copy of that blood results showing that he did go to this place and he did draw blood. And I got a handwritten statement that also that Cliff wrote telling me, yeah, this is where I went. I don't know if it's Derwin or something. I don't have it with me, but yeah, I do have that document too showing that he did go back then and had actually Robbie Krieger walk him over there to there. That's what I was told and well, that's what I read. Okay, I'll... Okay, well, that's... Uh, I didn't well, know if you were aware of that or not. You said he went there, but what's the result? I mean, that's what I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just, that's what all what was stated, that I already did all that stuff, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, DNA, DNA, but I don't know what to tell you about that. With Clara Morrison, uh, Cliff's daughter, when she's in school nowadays, I mean, even the <laughs> everybody there goes that they say, hey, you're Jim's uh, granddaughter, you know, and that's what she goes by, you know, and it's been known in her school and all that stuff and the teachers and all that, the principal, they treat her like a queen, what I was told recently. So, yeah, maybe one day that if we, Al and I can get this going, which we will someday, if we're gonna go ahead and do some kind of a mini series documentary or a film, but we will find out at the end of this for the whole world to know who is Cliff Morrison. We just, they never attacked me, the Morrison estate. I'll tell you that for the website, the website alone shows Cliff and Jim, father and son. They never attacked me for that. And when I released the song Liquid Highway, I remember Louis Reisman, the attorney, telling me, Floyd, don't release it, you know, and I did. And they never attacked me for that. So there's been a lot of incidents that they won't touch me because then legally they know they're going to go into court and then something's going to happen where they're going to have to provide or somebody's going to go ahead and prove the DNA and show the results. And that's another thing that I have a few things investigating you know, team also that Al and I can put together and do the DNA thing on the side if we want to. That's already ready to go too. We're just on standby, just seeing what you know what we're doing right now, just getting this going. Go ahead, Al. Uh, you know, I'm just happy to be part of rock history on this level because the Doors were probably one of the most legendary bands that ever came out of LA. Agreed. I lived in Los Angeles for 45 years of my life. Uh, I left permanently in 2018 because I saw what was happening to the state, California in particular. Uh, it was, you know, L.A. was becoming increasingly uh, 
dilapidated and dangerous. It was also uh, losing its historical significance in terms of no more places left to play for artists. There was a time when Los Angeles was the music capital of the entire world. But slowly but surely, developers came in and knocked down all these great venues. Uh, Club Lingerie, the House of Blues, the gig on Melrose, uh, Club 88, the Cat Club, uh, On the Rocks, the Key Club, Gazaris, just they were all gone. No more places right. to play. No music scene. How are you going to have a music scene with no places to play? You know, even at its peak in L.A. County, uh, where there's 10 million people, you have maybe between 10 and 15,000 active artists trying to break into the music business for a career. Yeah, it's hard. To put that in perspective, Nashville, Tennessee has 750,000 people. 200,000 of them are active artists trying to get a musical career. Sure. And why is it thriving? Because there's hundreds and hundreds of places to play. When you have a lot of venues with live music, you're going to have a thriving music scene. When you take that away, you're not going to have anything left. Because why would anybody go do music in a place where there's no places to perform? Well, the whole point is the audience. If you can't get an audience, then why are you doing it? The whiskey is the last man staying. Now, they were just off of $54 million. And if I'm them, I would take it. And go live on an island somewhere. <laughs> he paid one million dollars for that place in 1999, Mario Magliere, and now it's worth 54 million. 23 years later, take the money and run, man. But it's no. the last man standing. It's like Fenway Park. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I know. Wrigley <laughs> Field. I love Fenway Park too because it's maintained its nostalgia. It has. It's still like it did. Well, although they did put all those uh, in the left field, they put all those little, uh, you know, the CCC boxes with the Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. The, uh, it was the quintessential L.A. story, music story, as, as many people. I mean, it, go, even going back, not just the music story, the Hollywood story. You know, there were times where, I think, is it Lana Turner I'm thinking of that was discovered in a drugstore yeah. with yeah. soda? You know, people yeah. were discovered. Somebody yeah. was a street corner musician. The next day they got a contract. Somebody like was pestering a DJ with a tape. These were all stories that, you know, as a young musician, I heard, you know, you, these, these are the ways you did. People hung around recording studios. They were just, all of this was possible. None of that happens now. It's gone. Right, Boomer. <laughs> I was just going to add in that Al, Al's getting me back for an okay, Boomer. <laughs> They go after us with this stuff because we have this nostalgia and sure. we have, we're the last vestige of what's left of it. And that's why, you know, we, Floyd doesn't realize it, but I, I am trying to sell this catalog for a lot of money because it, the Cliff Morrison catalog of music is what the, is left of the music industry which is a legacy tied to another legacy. You know, uh, this is why Hypnosis and Blackstone are buying up all these catalogs for millions of dollars, because there's literally nothing left of the music industry except these little crumbs of history. Um, because the new music industry now, you see what the dominant form is of music. It's not music anymore. Does anything that you hear today really connect with you? Like when you listen to Travis Scott or, or, or 
or any of these rap artists or Cardi B, you know, like she wins eight Grammys, but like, where's the talent? Like, you know, it's yeah, not like I, I, I know, like I said, I, I feel that very deeply because I listen to like some of the. I said I'm a musician and I've been paying dues forever and one of the things I always say is, is that a lot of it doesn't have a lot of heart and what speaks to me are people I, I love artists like um, Tab Benoit uh -huh. I think that's 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 an artist that's got a tremendous amount of heart when he plays you feel it I think there are still artists out there that maybe aren't household names you know and there are some some legendary artists that no one's ever heard of that's true and uh, but you know a lot of what this music is today is digitally processed sound on a laptop using yeah they're done that pre-programmed stuff and it's like you know here in nashville i'll see a guy who can play banjo mandolin pedal steel stand-up bass can sing play 12 string lead one guy who has remarkable talent but i just don't see that with a lot of the modern music i just see people who you know I'll talk to them and I'll go, well, you know, I do beats. You do beats. That's it. You know, and, and, then, uh, and then young people think that these DJs who put on headphones and make scratching sounds are musicians. Yeah. Well, what instrument are they playing? That's By telling thing. that to those of us who went to piano lessons for how many yeah. years to learn right. it. After, you know. Exactly right. So, you know, it's just a different world. And it is. This project has got to come to fruition. I want to touch on what you said, Al, for a second. You just caught my ear on that one. Cliff Morrison, when I was in their studio, this guy was multi-talented. When he can tell the drummer, the guy on the guitar, <laughs> I mean, he pretty much told everybody how to play it on their instruments. I've never seen anybody do that before. I mean, with Cliff. You're talking about his inner producer and engineer. oh yeah yeah hey no no change it no play it like this I mean all that you know like yeah. whoa yeah good I would love to I'm I'm going to defiantly thanks to you Rocky I'm going to defiantly repost the this is the end video from the LA News Sports event uh, and put it put it back up on YouTube awesome I, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, because it's sure. so so incredibly good and people watch it and they're literally just blown away like wow how what like how does he do that and like, i want to share that too Al, on my social platforms definitely i don't have that one upload it again yeah because it was taken down and it said copyright violation and i'm like what you got people all over YouTube doing cover tunes of other artists. Why they take that down? There's no copyright. So, it do was, you feel with all of this? You know, they're going to take down that video. There were lots of opposition to some of the shows. All and, the whiskey videos down. The one with the bomb threat. They took that whole thing down too. It's, it's reading the book and talking to you both. Your commitment is tireless. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it, is, it is. It is. It is. Not much in, though. Jeez, this guy's been at it twenty years trying to get. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it's it is obviously because you believe in the music, and like I said, any yes. performer would would kill for that kind of backing. Where is Cliff? Where is he now? Oh, Where is Cliff? <laughs> Where's Cliff in all of this? <laughs> Tell her. Uh, he's on hiatus right now. <laughs> he's. Uh, I'm being honest. Uh, I just spoke with somebody recently, and. I hate to say it, he's not doing well. And then matter of fact, 
uh, Alan Graham, Uncle Al, got a hold of me via Facebook Messenger probably about eight months ago and sent me this video of actually Cliff in a trailer and he's got cancer, so it wasn't good. I mean, it, all his teeth were gone, he's bald-headed, and it was bad. I just like, take that video down, please, you know? Like, oh my God, and a matter of fact, I just called a couple of days ago to talk to Lorraine, but nobody's picking up, so I just left it alone. But no, my understanding is that he's he's gonna pass away here soon. He's, I'm sorry to hear that. Good at, I know, it's sad, but it just on that kind of a lifestyle of drugs and all that he did and i mean heroin and partying and cocaine and all that i mean it's going to catch up to you like father like son rocky <laughs> yeah well, I mean, you know there's something to be said for that i mean there, there's there's plenty of of medical evidence that you know some oh, yeah. there's addiction issues yes and i always wonder and and, and this i can't imagine the pressure of of being Jim Morrison's son, I can't imagine what that what that could be like um, to somebody feeling that they have to live up to that. That they have their own ideas, they have their own music. It's almost like, and I hate to say it, the Frank Sinatra Jr. complex. You know, when someone has this talent of their own in their own right, which is yeah, you know, he did. for sure, he, he did rock absolutely. And and is- one of the things I'm I'm saying to myself is that you know. Would I, if it were, if I were gonna try to put myself in those shoes, you know, would I feel like I had to live up to the lifestyle? Would I feel like, like, is, was some of it destined by expectation? I think a little bit of the uh, lyrically, uh, the poetry and all that. I mean, God, I mean, I mean, it's right on, uh, right out. The yeah. lyrics, and songs, and it's just poetry in itself, just like his dad. Very much so. I'd always said that Jim Morrison, to me, um, I'm a huge uh, reader, and I love the poetry of Percy Shelley, and I've always thought that Jim Morrison was the Percy Shelley of our lifetime. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially Wilderness 1 and 2. Oh, that one, got, that, that took me away. But, you know, there's, there's, it, it's, it's, there's a cautionary tale in all of this, and again, it, to read the book and, and see what the, the life, you know, the lifetime, the choices, there's a lot of love gained and a lot of love lost. There's a lot of legacy. And it's an, it's an incredible story about not only the family ties, but how the music business works as a family, sometimes dysfunctional not and sure. you know, <laughs> in all of that as well. So what's the next step for Morrison land? Uh, okay. Can, can I touch on something real quick? It's oh, absolutely. The, uh, the spiritual spirituality that I brought to cliff. Uh, when he was with me, I had him baptized, right? And getting him on the right side and on the right path. Everybody got baptized. Lisa, Lorraine, and Cliff. They all got baptized, right? And so from there, everything was good. You know, we we're doing fine. And then, uh, like the incident we talked about when Lorraine passed on that multi, the deal for the million dollars, literary agent, and blah, blah, reality show. And that's when everything went sideways. And then from there, I'm talking on a spiritual level, was that I had Cliff being in one of my homes in South Shores at the time. And I had to, that was it, I'm done. You, you can't pass on a million dollars and all that. And the band members are all pissed off and you gotta go brother, you can't do that to me. I worked so hard to get where I need to get you guys and I did it, but you guys passed on the deal. And I'm paying for the mortgage, the food, I mean, this has been going on for a year and some change, you know, so this, 
cost me at least four or five thousand a month for these people to, to make this happen. So I shut it down. I shut Lizard Sun Entertainment down. I was done. All right, time to move out. They wouldn't move out. So I had to hire my friend who's an attorney, had him evicted, brought him to court, 30 days. Yeah, I even had my mom there, my priest, everybody. You gotta go, man. You know, you guys took advantage of me. So that happened. So after that, they left. I went, it's a two-story home, and I went downstairs, and uh, there's a bathroom down there, and this is where Cliff was standing in the bottom level. And then on the toilet seat there, I'm with my pastor, there's an inscribed on the toilet seat of pentagram. And I looked at my pastor, I go, what's this? And he goes, oh my God, that's the devil's sign. Like, really? And then he goes, yeah, man, every time he goes to the bathroom, and you know what, he's thinking about this, and this is shitting on you. I go, whoa. Then when I look across the wall, there it is. Honest, Al. On the wall, across from the toilet, is Latin. And written in Latin on the wall. This whole poem and stuff. And I couldn't decipher it. And then my my uh, my priest goes, whoa, let me read this. And he goes, oh my God, these guys praying to the devil. And it was all on the side of the wall. I, my hair was standing up my arm. I go, oh my God. This dude you never told me this one. To me. What's that in the book? Uh, that's what I mean. It's some of this stuff I didn't bring in the book, but yeah, I mean, we could put that that's in the movie. In the movie. Yeah, definitely that'll be in the movie. But yeah, I mean, that happened too, man. And that, that after that, then I we went ahead and had people come over, sage it, and you know, whatever we had to do to clean that aura at the house, you know. But that was another thing, Rocky and Al, that happened was the he got back on the devil shit, you know what I mean? And then that's when everything started going backwards for him getting in trouble catching a case and yeah. all that stuff that happened to him was because of that yeah well, I'm, I'm gonna go with you on that that makes perfect sense wow yep wow well then, irrespective of, of whether uh, you know folks would think it was spiritual or psychological if you put yourself in a dark place in either case you're correct. going to spiral yes in the yes. sense that you know if 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 you, i think when people are lost they find strange things they look they go for any port in a storm yeah that's true and um, that's it with no disrespect to any and all belief systems and i believe there's light and dark in the world and you have to respect I do it too. I but do too. i think that you know when it's an act of desperation and and it's you know it, it's it's coming from a dark place and yeah. there's there's always a chance that it's going to to spiral and that that can be it seems like it was the case, yeah. you know. So, and that's but that had to be very freaky for you to. It must have been like walking into a horror movie. Oh, it was I, I? My hair was standing. I go, oh my god, this guy got into this now. Like, oh, you, oh wow, that was bad. And that's what I was telling Al that it just like this is when everything started spiraling out of control, catching a case, the robbery, everything, and then uh, when we talk about the mentality of him. That was some subject that we were discussing was that, yeah, when Angela Gates had him as what the defense attorney, correct, Al? Yes. And then from there, uh, he pleaded insanity. So the first one, they took him to the state patent mental hospital yeah, for what, three, three, four months, roughly. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, they let him back out. And they again went back to court and did it again and threw him back in again for another evaluation. So that's twice. 
So he's playing out the system, trying to plea bargain through this insanity plea what's not working for him. And then from there, that's when I believe Angela Gates jumped in. All right, let's do a plea deal here. And uh, what was it? 10 years we're going to give you. And he took it. And then from there, uh, I went down there to visit him while he was locked up. I've never been in that kind of a institution before. And But I came in a suit and tie and walked in through the corridor, through that whole system. Corridors and corridors uh, walking, waiting to look for the right cell that he's in. And so I finally came to the right spot. I walked in there and then uh, there was just plate glass windows all the way across. And I kind of stepped up a little bit to look inside. And then there's this staircase that leads down below on the bottom floor. And then you can see the guy, the sheriff down there in charge of the lock system opening and closing you can see all the pneumatic stuff that he had in control of though i can see that he's hitting the button here comes cliff coming up walking up the stairs and up to the glass plate we both pick up the phone and i go wait bro are you okay he goes man good to see you and i said yeah you know i was checking on you and he goes man can you put some money on the books for me now i ain't getting no food and i said all right and so yeah i put like a couple hundred book uh, dollars on the books so he can eat stuff and then you know, we kind of rode that out for a while so finally they transferred him to another. I, matter of fact, Lisa and I, Cliff's baby's mama, you want to refer to her, both visited Cliff in both prisons at the time. He was here locally and then transferred to another one. And we would go on the Saturday drive, take that drive, go visit him and spend the night at some hotel and stuff and go back again, visit, you know, and. Yeah, I was uh, putting money on the books and stuff, but bottom line was that the True Life Story Rights Agreement came out of that. And for me to continue putting money on the books, this is where Nicole David from the William Morris Agency said, Floyd, you need to do a movie about this or, you know, something here. And I, and I said, all right. And then that's where we coordinated with the attorneys and got the True Life Story Rights Agreement and then had him sign it in regards to that. Then from there, then I would go ahead and put money on the books every month for him to eat while we contractually bind it to this contract. So I'm able to get the True Life Story rights exclusively signed to me. That's how that happened for Morrison Land. Okay, Al. <laughs> Perfect. Wow. Just a little bit. I just had to touch on some of it. Like, we got so much to talk about. There's many people. You got way more, you got way more uh, emotionally and financially invested in this than I did. I mean, I I did my part. I, I want to help broker this to yeah. completion. Uh, I have shared this with some powerful people. Um, Alan Graham, you know, he has a reputation of striking fear in the hearts of people who oppose him. I think he's harmless now at 80 years old in a wheelchair. <laughs> I don't see what he could possibly do other than yell at people. That's what he does. I saw something recently through Jade Lizard. He sent me the link via Twitter, and there is Uncle Al in the corner, you know, wearing some kind of outfit, like still screaming and yelling at his age. And I go, oh, my God, he's never changed, like he said. But yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't think you can find a more colorful cast of characters than than there is, you know. Because, you know, the the strange part is it's all true, you know. Right. You can only see this if you work in show business. That's the other thing. Well, how many times a day if you work in show business, and I got news, a few other businesses, 
And do you say to yourself, man, I can't make this shit up. I know. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I, I cannot. I, I would like to touch on something real quick, Brock. Sure. For, for Cliff back me before I met him, I mean, like Al was saying, man, so a lot of famous people came involved with Cliff, and the, the audience really doesn't know exactly how this went down, but I'm just going to briefly say that what happened, of course, he attracts attention and support from Jim Morrison's brother-in-law, Alan Graham, which we talked about. Then he tours with, in Europe, in Germany, with the ex-mafia boss, Michael Francisi. Now, his dad is the major crime boss out of New York, and his dad... You know, he had his son even even believing that Cliff is who he is. And then, then you got Matthew Mellon, Carnegie Mellon Scion, writing songs with Cliff also. And he's a big Doors fan or really a Jim Morrison fan. Okay. I, that's what, I, what I was told, um, the stories that I was told, Rock, my thing is the audience really doesn't know how it all started kind of, but. I mean, I'll start a little bit about it. I mean, Cliff was able to get the attention of, we all talked about is Jim Morrison's brother-in-law, Alan Cram. And then from there, after that whole situation, kind of just fizzled out between them. Nobody got along and a lot of fighting going on. And then he jumps in with Michael Francisi and takes them to Germany. Now, Michael Francisi, his father, is the major crime boss in New York City. Heavy hitter, and uh, he's been in quite a few movies. And I have respect for this man because he even did some major time. And then when he did, he came out as a new person, and, and now he's with the Lord, and you know he, that's all he does is preach, and, and he's on the right path now. Michael, I met him one time, and Marina Del Rey, because I was about ready to take over the soul scene and start over, and Cliff told me, Floyd, you got to go meet Michael Francisi. We need his blessing before you start Lizard Sun Entertainment. And I thought, what the hell? Okay. So we go to Marina Del Rey, and we have this uh, lunch setting, and I'm um, sitting there, and then here comes this dude walking up with two bodyguards. And I didn't know it's time. You go, oh, then Cliff stands up and go, oh, hey, Michael, this is Floyd. And I stood, oh, uh, nice to meet you, sir, and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I just want to let you know Floyd's taking over and we're going to start Lizard Sun Entertainment and we want to make sure you have, we have your blessings. And Michael says, oh yeah, for sure, man. You guys go ahead and do it. And that was really cool with Michael. And, and you know, I've been talking to him on, back then, you know, for years, you know, on and off about it. But the next one, then you got, again, like we all talk about Matthew Mellon, you know, from, I mean, they'll get bigger than that when it comes into the Banking Institute and Carnegie Hall and the, the Scion he was known for and writing music with Cliff and going into actual the banks that they owned and going into a bank vault sitting on stacks of money doing cocaine and writing songs in the vault you know what I mean this is the kind of shit that was going on with Matthew and Cliff you know what I mean that's a movie scene that is oh, such yeah, a movie sure. scene and, and, and then uh, of course on and off I mean we exchanged emails, Matthew and I, you know, back and forth, you know, try to get him to get in part of this deal, but he's on his own thing. And w one thing is that when Bitcoin first came out, Matthew was in the mix on that at the beginning stages. And we have mutual friends 
Matter of fact, uh, another famous actor here that's still alive, and I really, I'll just say his first name's Billy, and I won't say his last name, but he was very close with Cliff and Matthew and grew up with them, trying to get him to get involved in this too, but we'll see what happens. But he told me even also that when Cliff got out of prison, uh, when he did, Matthew came with his own professional bodyguards and all that stuff, met Cliff on the side of the, here by me, off the side of the freeway, grabbed him and took him back up to Hollywood Hills. And they had a certain term for this mansion that they're renting. But at the time there, they had a, a studio there. They had Cliff set up there and like, well, I met him before he left and it was just like, you need to move on, dude, do your thing. And he did. And I got one song out of that while he was there that he sent to me and it's it says, can't go to hell. I got it. I got the song. I haven't released it yet. I do have it though. And so from there, like, all right. And then after a while, we hear Matthew and Cliff are partying heavy, doing their thing. And Matthew decided, well, I'm going to go get cleaned up. You know, it's in the book. And so Matthew flies out in his private jet, but he doesn't have his original bodyguards. He's got a whole new set of bodyguards around him. And so they fly out, they touch down in Cancun and get ready to go into a resort to go ahead and, you know, go through that whole thing, that process of cleaning up and rehabilitation, if you want to refer to that. And then the next day they found Matthew dead in the hotel room, six feet away was a syringe, six feet away. Oh so to me, like it's in the book, we all know that Matthew did not do that. And we know that he was murdered. And also this other individual that was close, Billy even said that the bodyguards that was assigned to him was not his team. It was another team that was assigned to watch him. And they let that shit happen. Now, one of the things you're not mentioning, Floyd, is that Mellon, go ahead, Al. Well, Mellon, Matthew Mellon's family, and they're yeah. very famous New York family. Uh, so you might want to look at this Mellon Bank and Trust, uh, Mellon Holdings, uh, Carnegie Mellon University, very, very famous family. Uh, their net worth is about $20 trillion. And Matthew Mellon was one of the forerunners of the cryptocurrency game. Right. Right. Yep. And then he gets found dead with a syringe like he's had a drug overdose. A guy worth that much traveling in a jet-setting lifestyle that he had all the beautiful women in private planes and freaking Ritz-Carlton suites. It's not shooting heroin. No. Sorry, I'm not buying it. Well, but some I people might know. say that an alcoholic rock star who was sitting in a bathtub in Paris wasn't really shooting heroin either. Well, just saying. Just saying. I think that the Matthew Mellon death is one of the most mysterious things. It makes no sense to me. Well, you describe, like I said, there's so much intrigue to this story. There is such an incredible cast of characters. So, um, if again, folks, if you want to read the book, Morrison Land, you can go to Amazon and look up Morrison Land, and that's going to bring you right to Floyd's book. Highly recommend. It's a terrific read. Movies in the works. Yes. And if folks want to hear Cliff's music, we're going to play, when we go out, we're going to play a little bit of a song called Rock Down on our way out. But also they can go to YouTube and look up Cliff Morrison and the Lizard Sun Band. I don't think there's much on there. Is there anything on there? Well, yeah, yeah, under my channel, either Cliff does have, and I, you know what? 
the one we performed at the NAMM show, it's all videotaped and, you know, all the song, the set and all that. And then I filed a copyright registration for that whole performance. And it's under my name. So that whole performance at the NAMM is copywritten by me. You know what I mean? Okay. So nobody can take it down or touch it. You know what I'm saying? Very I got good. that live performance on lockdown. Okay, perfect. I never got the one from the Warner Grand though. Who, who, you know, when you came in and yeah, I, yeah, of I, that was an incredible show. I don't have, I don't know who has the footage. The video cameras there, huh? There were video cameras at that event. I tried. The other one is David Mora, the actual guy that played the conga. Supposedly he has it, but he's not revealing it or letting me have a copy of it. There's, you know, there's a couple of the. So there's a lot of people that seem to always be when as soon as you get a little headway, and yeah. it seems that, that, that jokes, man, everywhere you two turn. steps back. I mean, legally, I could go after them legally. If you know later on down the road, if I need to, because that's my intellectual property, not yours. You know what I mean? Certainly. Well, I can't. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to talk about this project and to talk about Cliff Morrison and to share this incredible music. And this, the world needs to hear this story. And needs to, to go ahead and like I said, get the book. And uh, Al, you said you're gonna be you're gonna be putting up the video again of the. Uh, I am, and I will let you know when it's up, and then you can watch it. You, you Absolutely, tell me and and so be watching the Macabre World podcast page for that. We'll we'll post a link. And if there's is there anything else you wanted to add before we leave? Uh, I mean, me personally, we only touched on just a bit of this. I mean, I would like to go for another second podcast. Because we didn't even touch on Lisa, Clara. I mean, there's so much stuff that we really didn't touch on. Uh, <laughs> oh, remember, I was hashtagging all these things murder, drama, action, uh, prison. There's life. more murder. We've talked about murder. There's more murder. Oh, no. There's another one. Yeah. What? Matter of fact, the one, uh, was, I'm not sure. If, I think you met her out was Sabine. Oh, no, that mysterious death of Sabine. Oh, yeah, in Germany. I remember her. She was Tell being. about the story she, about that one. Yeah, that, 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 it, that. Yeah, we should do a future podcast on all this death surrounding. I but, think uh, I think we definitely have a second podcast in the works. Oh, yeah. For sure. Folks can, can look forward to a part two of, of this entire story. But we're going to wrap it up for this one. Okay. And, we're going to play a little bit of rock down, but folks, again, you can go to morrisonland.com and go ahead and, and see all of the information there. Follow it on IMDb so that you can see when the movie's going to be released. Let folks know you want to see this film. And Al, is there anything you wanted to add? I just uh, want to say that, you know, I, I have uh, bared witness to this story, not from its inception, but from the point where Floyd was about to become successful with it and get all his money back. I was there during the eviction process when he had to kick them out. I was there. I went to the court trial um, in Los Angeles when, when Cliff was uh, being tried for um, armed robbery, even though he had a water pistol. I mean, California is just so nuts. Uh, didn't he only have a water pistol, Floyd? Like, he didn't really have a real gun, right? Oh, uh, yeah, it was a water pistol with a mask. That's that's like three or four times he's been done that, you know, from the past. I mean, we... Yeah, so... Like, yeah, that's his a, M.O. He was like, but he wasn't really armed, so... No. You know, the whole thing was kind of comical. 
Um, and to know that Clint is not in good health and in a good way yeah. is sad to hear. But I will do all I can as the legitimate godson of rock and roll as handed to me and bequeathed by uh, Bill Gazzari in 1991 to keep the Doors legacy and the legacy of Cliff Morrison alive through the, the making of this film and then to get Floyd on the red carpet later this year uh, and give him a, a literary award for this and give him the podium and the dais to speak uh, to the press and walk the red carpet and, and uh, make this an award-winning project. You know, because that's what they do. I mean, I produce the Nashville Music Awards and this fits right in, you know. Not for so, sure, we will. That's all I want to say. And we will definitely have a second podcast where we're going to go yeah. a little bit deeper into this. But yeah. I can't thank you enough for all that you've done. And again, we're going to go out uh, with a little bit of rock down. So I want to thank you all for listening. I'm Rocky Degatti. This is the Macabre World Podcast. And remember, stay kooky out there. Thank you for listening to Macabre World. You can find us on the web at www.darkerartstudio.com.